Genesis chapter 50. We'll jump in to, uh, into today, and uh, we'll jump into our text today. Uh, I'll read with us. You pick up. We'll pick up in um, verse 15. <clears throat> when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so you remember that last week that Joseph had died. Remember, he, pulled, he, he, he shared some things with his sons. Scripture says he pulls his feet up in the bed, lays his head on the pillow, and he dies. And so when, his sons, uh, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. They were nervous. They were scared. Verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of of the God of your father And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came to him and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones, Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Verse 22 kind of shifts a little bit for us. And it says, so Joseph remained in Egypt and he and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry me my bones. Uh, you will shall surely, excuse me, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into our text today. God, we love you. We need you, Holy Spirit, uh, today as we work through this text, as we preach from your word, enlighten us to how it points us to Jesus and the goodness and the kindness of who you are. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, let's kind of jump to the end of this text. So those last few verses that I read, we'll start there first. We'll just kind of, just a quick statement about those. Uh, So Joseph died and he was buried uh, and and he reminded the brothers that God will surely fulfill his promises, the promises that he made to his people to bring them out of Egypt and he will take them to the land that he promised them. I'm sorry, uh, I've got a cold. So... That's kind of the ending of the text. That's how uh, Genesis ends. But let's go back to the first part of the text and just kind of think through it for just a little bit. Think through uh, that, that entire scenario that we talked about in the first part of the text. When you have wronged someone, so let's, let's start there. When you have wronged someone, what is the typical posture that you take? Is it... They deserved it. They got what was coming to them. You know what? I'll just stand my ground. I know I've done wrong, but I'll stand my ground anyway. I'm sure I'm right. Is it that, hey, nobody gets anything over on me? Somebody wrongs me, 
<clears throat> nobody's going to get it over on me. I'll just do back to them a little bit worse than they did to me. Is it, I'll be the last one to apologize. I'll be the last one to reconcile. I'll be the last one to say that I was wrong in this situation. Or maybe it's, if they make the first move, then I'll consider making a move back toward them. You find yourself in that spot ever? Where do we learn that kind of behavior? Where do we learn to respond in that kind of way? Honestly, we see it modeled around us, right? We see our friends do that kind of thing. When somebody wrongs them, they're like, they, stand, they take some of those postures that I just talked about. So sometimes we see our friends do it. Sometimes we see our family do it. So we've seen our parents respond in that way, or our grandparents, or our brother, or our sister, or somebody that we know really close to us and we have some respect for, and they respond in that way. So we just learn, it's some learned behavior, and we respond in that very way. Sometimes it's hard to overcome our upbringing, right? It's okay to agree with me there. I, it, it's, uh, it, sometimes it's hard to overcome that, that. I mean, I've got a lot of tendencies from Big Jim Benjamin, and, and, and so sometimes those are hard to overcome, right? And you have some of those tendencies, same kind of tendencies from your parents or grandparents or people that influence you, or, or maybe it's your siblings, or maybe it's your best friend that influences you in a certain way. Maybe it's watching TV, and you've learned your behaviors from watching TV. Most of you know that I love Mari Povich and Jerry Springer. That's, that's what I usually eat my lunch to. Don't judge me. It's just, that's my, that's my just veg out and listen to the world around me. And I have a, a turkey sandwich and some Doritos and a pickle. I know, again, that's not, that's, that's not coming. Uh, but uh, I, that's what I have my lunch. And it's just kind of background noise for me. And I'm pretty happy that that's not the life that I live. But uh, we allow people and things to influence us. We allow the culture to influence us. That's what advertising is all about, right? Advertising wants, wants to encourage you to buy their products, to go to their places, to spend your money in certain ways, to act in a certain way, to live a certain way. That's what advertising and marketing is all about. And so that, is, that really is the world discipling us in a certain way to respond to certain stimuluses, then it's enticing us to respond in a certain way. And if we're honest with one another, we know the people that will tell us the things that we want to hear, right? We know the people that will tell us how that we want to respond, we know the people to go to, and, and they'll agree with us in those situations, and they'll go, you'll find yourself in a situation, and you know who to go to depending on how you want to respond to a situation. I mean, think about it. Uh, if you've gotten yourself in a pinch, say, in, um, in your relationship, and maybe you're arguing with your spouse, you know who will inflame that situation, right? You know who will just, just kind of start the little fire into some big raging inferno, and you know who will help diffuse that situation, right? You know what I'm talking about. You know who those people are in your life. Or, or let's just say maybe you're <clears throat> upset over some bad business deal. Maybe you've been involved in a bad business deal with someone and, 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 or something to do with money of yours. And, and so you know who will inflame that situation. And you know who will help diffuse that situation, right? Right? It will give you good advice on how to, how to handle it from here. 
Or, it's even a little bit more serious, maybe you've gotten involved, maybe you're married and you've gotten involved with someone outside of your marriage. And you know who will inflame that situation by just telling you everything's okay and justify what it is that you're doing. You know who will tell you that. And you know who will help diffuse that situation and encourage you to walk away from that extramarital affair or to repent of those kind of things and repent over the sin that you might be in the middle of. And let me just say, uh, if you don't have that person, let me be that person right now. Just sidebar into that. If you're here, if you're watching, if you're watching on TV or, or, or on the internet, or if you're just specifically here, though, if you're involved in that, if you're involved in an extramarital affair, someone outside your own marriage, just stop today. Just stop today. Don't let your sin continue on today. If you go, man, I don't know how to get out of it, just come, let us help you. We won't be out to condemn you. We'll help, try to help you get out of that, Okay. Which brings us to the question from today's text. When you've wronged someone, what is the correct posture? Who do you go to? What kind of advice do you get? How do you approach the situation? Here's Joseph's situation. Uh, Verse 15 says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. That's legit, right? We'll talk about why that's legit in a little bit. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. So what posture did the brothers take at this point? Well, first, they were fearful, right? I mean, it's not really a posture. Fear is not necessarily a posture, but it is a reality, and it's a natural reaction to the situation that they found themselves in, that they had kind of gotten themselves into. That's the natural reaction that they should probably have. I mean, especially considering Joseph's stature in the kingdom, he was second only to Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh, and then it was Joseph. He was in charge of literally anything and everything that could possibly happen. So in, in, this, in this situation, they sent a message to Joseph out of humility. I mean, think about this. If you ever messed up, or maybe your kids have messed up, and they've done something really egregious toward you, and they write a note you know, to you, and they like slide it in under your bedroom door, or just like leave it on your pillow. And like, Kids, y'all ever done that? Or maybe some of you adults have done that, you know, when you were younger, you just left a, you know, a note for your parents hoping that will appease the situation that might be in the middle of. That's kind of what's happening. They're like, man, we've really messed up here, and, and so we've got to find a way to get ourselves out of this. But they were asking for mercy. And they, were, they needed mercy in this particular situation. And, and it, it really, it was, um, uh, they were playing on the kindness or hoping for the kindness Uh, that Joseph would extend to them. So it was from a place of humility. The question becomes, what is humility? What is humility? It's freedom from pride or arrogance. 
Humility is the absence of pride or arrogance. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, it's hard to be humble. It's hard to bring yourself to somebody and go, man, I've wronged you and I've sinned against you and I need your mercy and grace. You can't do that from a place of arrogance, right? Right? Yeah. You can't do that from a place of pride. Pride will not allow you to go to somebody and say, man, I've sinned against you and I've done wrong by you and I am in need of your forgiveness. Pride won't let you do that. Pride will actually tell you to do the opposite. Pride will tell you to do those things that we talked about at the top of the sermon. I'll do it if they do it. I'll repent if they repent. They don't deserve it from me. That's pride, okay? That's arrogance, to say that I'm unwilling to to have an interaction with someone who has wronged me. Humility is the very opposite of pride and arrogance. And so the brothers pleaded for Joseph to please forgive them. Please forgive their transgressions. Please forgive their sins. Please forgive the evil that they had done towards him. And, And you might say, well, you haven't been with us for a little while. What did the brothers actually do? Uh, uh, how did they get themselves into this particular uh, predicament? A chapter, uh, probably 13 chapters ago is when this actually happened. And so uh, uh, there was uh, uh, the, the brothers bowing themselves down to Joseph. And, and, and really that's kind of where we find them today is bowing down to them. But that's not where they were back in chapter 37. This is what the text said back when it happened in chapter 37. So um, uh, the brothers... Uh, were meeting together. And if you remember, Joseph was one. He wasn't necessarily working with them. And, and the brothers were out working in the field. And, and so they come out and he comes out in his big ring and his big coat of many colors, uh, his, big, uh, uh, his big flamboyant coat. And, and, and so they see him from afar. It's what, Genesis, it's what the text says in Genesis chapter 37. They saw him from afar and behold, he came near to them, and they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one, they said to one another, "Here comes the dreamer." And so again, if you'll remember, he had uh, Joseph had some dreams, and he shared it with his brothers. And in it, they, he saw this uh, uh, different, basically different things bowing down to him. And it was a representative of basically the brothers bowing down to him one day. And so they were mad about it. They were like, I can't believe that he would even have these dreams like this, that where we would be the ones bowing down to him. Who does he think he is? I mean, if you've got siblings and they came to you and they said, hey, I had a dream last night and I just want you to know at some point you're going to be bowing down to me. What would you say to him? You've lost your ever-loving mind, right? I mean, you, you would be like, what are you talking about, man? And so that's where they found themselves. Verse 20 in chapter 37, come now, let us kill him and throw him into the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. Uh Uh-huh. Well, we'll get those dreams out. Some tiger will eat up those dreams. But when Reuben heard, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here into the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of his, uh, uh, and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. That's where they threw their brother into this pit. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry it to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, 
What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come now, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. And the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. And that's what happened when the brothers were so mad. They were going to kill him, and they ended up selling him to these traitors that came by, and they were like, away with him, let him be gone. We don't have to deal with him anymore. And so the brothers committed this egregious sin against Joseph. They loathed Joseph at the time. They had hatred in their heart toward Joseph at the time, and so they sold him and disregarded him. And now, in our text today, where are they now? They're literally on their knees with their heads bowed before Joseph and going, behold, we're we're your servant. We are your servant. Tide certainly had turned. Now, if you were in Joseph's seat, if you were sitting in his place, how would you have responded at this point? You're Joseph, okay? And brothers have come, the ones that wanted to kill you and, and that, that sold you away, put you away. How would you have responded at this point? And the question becomes, how have you responded in the past when you've had the opportunity to exact revenge or show mercy? When you've had the opportunity to exact revenge or show mercy, which one have you chose? Revenge or mercy? Revenge or mercy? What was Joseph's response? Did he exact revenge? Did he embarrass them? Did he destroy them with his words? Because he certainly could have had a lot to say to them at the time, right? Did he march them before the city and publicly humiliate them? Did he etch their skin, their skins? Did he etch their sins like in the stone walls, like their social media of the day? They didn't have Facebook. Put it out there like some of you do. No, he responded with mercy. And compassion and grace. His his heart was moved. His heart was moved over the fact of the posture of his brothers. Look what it says in in 17. He said, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He, He had the opportunity to do all those things, but their humility moved him to tears. And then he did the most gracious thing that he could do. He alleviated their fears. So so imagine how fearful they were. Imagine how scared they were at the time. They were afraid at the time. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. And then Joseph literally, I mean, it's like a tension moment. And what did Joseph choose to do? Look what it says in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? Do not fear. You don't have to be afraid of me. I'm second in command to the Pharaoh, but you don't have to be afraid of me. You you don't have to be scared of me. Don't you love that answer? 
Joseph was like, hey, there's no reason to fear. What do you do when you get in that situation? How often do you have the opportunity to relieve fear? How often do you have the opportunity to relieve pressure? How often do you have the opportunity to relieve tension in a moment with family or friends or coworkers or your children or your parents or whoever it might be? Joseph was like, hey, there's, there's no reason to fear. There's no reason for you to be afraid. Am I God? Do I stand in judgment over you? And what a relief must have come over the brothers to hear this thing, saying, these words from Joseph. It's a good question to ask yourself. Am I God? Am I someone that's able to exact revenge? Am I someone who is in the authority, in the place to exact revenge? If you're confused about whether you're God or not, I'll help you through that one. You're not, okay? In case you were confused, in case you thought you had that kind of power, you don't. Joseph was in a place to exact revenge on his brothers. At long last, he could have evened the score. At long last, he could have gotten back at them over all the things that he had done. And he could have reacted in one of the ways that we do today, right? He could have done this. He could have said an eye for an eye. This is what you've done to me. This is what I'm going to do to you. He could have said, what's well, good for the goose is good for the gander. There weren't any pictures for that one. But I'm sure the brothers were hoping that Kermit was right. I see what's good for the goose ain't good for the gander. Or maybe this one, what goes around comes around. Hey, that's, that's what you did to me. I got, now it's time for it's about to come around for you. And that really kind of, kind of comes into the whole, I've heard some of you use the word karma here. We'll talk about that in just a minute, okay? I'm, I'm coming back to it. Put, just put a, bend down the notes because we're coming back to karma, okay? All you karma people. But instead of these responses, this is what Joseph chose, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Isn't that what we all want? We all want mercy and grace. We all want someone to extend mercy and grace to us when we find ourselves in situations like this. There was a song we used to sing at Wheeler Grove Baptist Church whenever I was growing up down in Corinth, Mississippi. It speaks to mercy and grace, and it says this, mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary, at the cross of Jesus. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there my pardon there was multiplied to me. What was just given to me is multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. What if you offered the same kind of grace to people? What if you offered the same kind of liberty to the people that are in your life? 
Since it's been given to you, if you're a Christian and that liberty has been given to you and extended to you, and it has through Christ Jesus, why don't we be the people who forgive because we've been forgiven? Why don't we be the people who offer mercy because mercy has been extended to us? And this mercy plays out in verse 20, and this is kind of the most famous verse of the closing of Genesis. It says this, it says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What you meant for evil, God has meant for good. What God has meant, uh, God has meant this time even for good to bring about salvation for many people. What a gospel statement, right? I mean, this is one of those huge flashing arrows that points us forward to the grace that we find in Jesus. As for you, what you meant as evil against me, God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so what the brothers meant for evil, selling their brother, again, think about that, selling their brother to some travelers who came by and said, we're going to sell you to this guy for 20 shekels of something And off he goes into the sunset to disregard his life, to cast him away, and essentially to what they thought would be his demise. What they meant for evil, and they meant it for evil, God chose to use it for good. God chose to use it for good, and that good was literally the salvation of many people. Remember that? Because what happened was Joseph went, he became, uh, he went into prison. Remember all the stories that we covered through Genesis? And he finally came up, he interpreted some dreams. He ends up in Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh says, man, I'm going to put you over everything. He puts him in second in charge. He went from being in the pit to all the way up to being uh, Pharaoh's second in charge. What they meant for evil, God is using for good because in that place, he brought the salvation of people in the middle of the famine. Listen, There was no karma. Nacho Libre Libre would say, get that karma out of my face. Because there is no karma. If you're, listen, if you use that word, if you're a Christian, just stop, okay? Stop. Karma is not the way we operate as Christians. That's not the Christian posture. We don't get what we deserve, Okay? You don't get what you deserve as a human. Someone who has sinned against God, who continually sins against God. We don't get what we deserve whenever we repent and believe the gospel. We get the good. We don't have to get the bad. That's, so that's the Christian posture. Is, and so in doing that, we return good for evil. We don't return evil for evil or eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's not the way we live as Christians. And karma is just some bogus stuff that is not true. Okay? Y'all give me there. There was no, I'll get you back. There was no, you'll get yours someday. There was only grace. There was only kindness. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that Old Testament stories are meant to point us forward to Jesus, right? That, that's, that's what the, the purpose of the Old Testament, all these stories, they're not to, make, to make you a, 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 a moralistic person and to have you act like somebody in the Old Testament. 
They're here to point us to the one who fulfilled all these things, who did all these things perfectly, to point us to the Savior and the only hope of the world. It's to point us to Jesus. So in the gospel story, um, what the men did in Jesus' day, the evil that they meant to him, the crucifixion or the demise of Jesus to disregard his life, what they meant for evil then, God meant for good. That's how this story points us to Jesus, to bring about that many may be saved. So that even today in 2020, that many of you might come to salvation and, to, and be in right relationship with God. And in another shadow of the full provision that comes from Jesus, look what verse 21 says. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He says, I'll provide for all you. He comforted them and he spoke kindly to them just like Jesus does for us. Just like God does for us, he is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He provides for us. God speaks kindness and, and, and hope and life into our lives. Such a gracious follow-up from Joseph to how his brothers treated him. Such a kind response to those who reviled him. Such a generous offering, offering to give to them more than they could have ever imagined or thought. Again, such a picture of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure what you believe about who Jesus is or actually what he came to do. I, 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 there's some people I don't know in this room, and there's, some, there's many of you that I do know, and maybe I don't know exactly what you believe about Jesus. You, again, we live in the South, and we, we, we kind of come into this whole language that we learn, right? We, we learn the words. We learn the responses. We learn the, the, the answers. If, if a pastor comes to you and asks about your salvation or being saved or are you a Christian, we, we know the answer to give, right? I, I did it for 30 years and gave the right answer, but I wasn't a Christian, there's nothing about my life that was any different until I repented of my sins and put my faith and trust in Jesus' righteousness and not my own. Not a, hey, let me get out of hell free card. That's not Christianity. That is a, that is a benefit of Christianity, but that is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about becoming more like Jesus, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And so I'm not sure what you believe about God. Some of you may have a negative view of God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, and, and that could come from your religious upbringing, that you grew up in a church where it was just uh, something that was oppressive to you. And man, I, I just, I'll just stand up here and say, I'm really sorry on behalf of the preachers that really oppressed you, that the gospel is a good news message. Yes, there, there's hell and fire and damnation to those who don't believe, and that should be preached from time to time. But the reality is that there is hope found in Jesus, Okay. The life of following Jesus is one of hope. The life of following Jesus is one of rescue. The life of following Jesus is one of, of magnified joy, even in the middle of our sorrow. Amen? I mean, that, that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to have the Spirit of God that lives within us. And maybe it's from not just your religious upbringing, or maybe it's from your non-religious upbringing. You didn't grow up in church, and so you never really heard this story before, and Maybe the thoughts of what you even have around it are just things that you've kind of made up on your own or things that you've seen on TV or, or maybe you've seen just some bad examples of Christianity or, 
Or maybe it comes from circumstances that didn't go your way. Maybe you're under some kind of financial strain. You're like, why is God punishing me? Or, or maybe it's from a busted marriage and you go, why would God let me to go through something like this? Or maybe it's a failed family situation. You're like, I, I don't want to trust a God who allows me to be in this kind of situation. But listen to this preacher today. Our, our text shows us this. And, and again, pointing to Jesus. Our text shows us this, that Joseph loved his brothers. Despite what they had done to him, Joseph loved his brothers despite their sin, despite their disbelief, and, and, and he was, had good intentions for them, despite their rebellion against him, and despite their dismissing his life to, to where there was no end to it. That Joseph loved him in that way. And even more so today, God loves you. God loves you despite your sin. God loves you despite your disbelief and despite your rebellion and despite your dismissing him to this point, infinitely more so. He wants you that even in the middle of that to come to him and repent of all all those kind of things. He doesn't love you to stay in those kind of things. He just loves you to come out of those things, to turn away from those things, not to continue in those things, to repent of those things and go, I don't have to live in those places anymore. I can come and turn to you. And he says, I'm going to put all that stuff behind you. That's the beauty of the gospel. Proverbs 103 says this, God does not repay us according to our sins. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us, listen, Christians, listen. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's a beautiful picture of what God does for us in Christ, in Christ Jesus. So if you're here and you're a Christian, all that becomes true of you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, then none of that is true for you. And you need to repent. You need to come to Jesus today. You need to repent of your sins today. You need to put your faith and trust in the God of the Bible, the one we're preaching about, the Jesus who came to rescue you and save you. Look, as I've already said, the actions of Joseph point us to God and how he deals with those of us who are in Christ. Those of us who have repented of our sins and trusted in the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. In other words, God is a God of grace and mercy, not one of karma, a God of grace and mercy. Look, we do experience the consequences of our actions, okay? Our actions have consequences. The things we do in our life have literal physical and and mental sometimes consequences that we have to endure. Destructive decisions have destructive results. But that's a very different thing than concluding that the anguish or experiences that you have as a result of bad decisions is God getting back at you. For the Christian, the funny thing whenever you think that God is punishing you, he doesn't even remember your sins against you. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says this, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins, how long? No more. No more. He'll remember 
our sins no more. In other words, our sins are cast into the deep sea of God's forgetfulness. One commentator uh, says this, if God has announced anything in Jesus, it's that he has permanently closed the bookkeeping department. If you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the righteousness of Jesus, he has permanently closed the bookkeeping department. So if you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of what you're guilty of or how miserably you might have failed along the way, right now you are under the complete, sufficient, imputed righteousness of Christ on your behalf. Or to put it a little more Colorfully, you are clothed in an irremovable straitjacket of forgiveness. An irremovable straitjacket of forgiveness. And so as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, someone who has repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, before God, you're clean. Your pardon is full and final. There's no strings attached. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no conditions and no paybacks. That's the glorious truth of what it means to be a Christian. But some of you still live in the fear of persecution, in the fear of damnation, in the fear of the wrath of God. And here's the truth. You will, from God, you're either going to receive mercy, which is what we hope for, or wrath, okay? Mercy or wrath. That, that, that's what you get from God. Today, today's text has been literally all about mercy. You long for your own pardon. You long for there to be no strings attached. You long for there to be no ifs, ands, or buts. You long for there to be no conditions. You long for there to be no paybacks. Mercy is where you find that. That's the good news. Will you receive God's mercy today? God, he's called, the whole Spirit of God is trying to awaken you today. Spirit of God may be stirring in your heart today, that thing that you're kind of feeling in your gut a little bit right now. Maybe the Spirit of God stirring you up to say, you need to receive my mercy. You need to receive my grace. I'm offering this to you today. You have not received that so far, and today can be the day that you receive mercy and grace. But you're repenting of your sins, saying, I I've sinned against a holy and righteous God and believe the gospel that Jesus came. He lived the life you cannot live. He died the death you deserve to die. He was raised three days later and he is ever interceding on your behalf. There's salvation found in no other than Jesus Christ. And with this, I'll close. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there at the cross, was multiplied to me and you. There at the cross, my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary, where Jesus paid it all. Let me pray for us.